Welcome to ESG Decoded. I'm Amanda Shea, one of your podcast co-hosts, and today I have Graham Stewart, EVP at Fiber 52 with me. Graham is an expert in international textile and apparel production and has been working with world-class brands for many years. I'm very excited to have him on the podcast so we can talk about sustainable cotton production, sustainable fashion. Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for inviting me. It's exciting to be on the pod. Thank you so much for being my guest. I think most of us, we are, we wear cotton um, in, in our t-shirts, in our jeans. We have it in our homes, perhaps in our sheets and our towels. Um, we don't think a lot about perhaps what it took to come from a fiber uh, cotton plant to the the t-shirt I'm wearing for example or the shirt I'm wearing because of your experience in the in the fashion industry we'd love to get a quick overview of what it typically looks like to bring from cotton from the plant to a a, a shirt and I love to learn more about how fiber 52 is making that all more sustainable yeah okay Amanda thanks uh, that's a good question in the textile industry taking raw cotton Usually what happens to it is um, it goes through a spinning phase. So there's machinery that, that, that cards and makes slivers and then it becomes a yarn. And then it can go in different directions. It can go for weaving. Uh, it can be knitted in various forms, you know, so like sweaters, pullovers or T-shirts, you name it. Uh, on the weaving side, you've got, as you, as you alluded to, you know, you've got bed sheets, uh, home furnishings, all sorts of things. So, you know, cotton is a big deal in, in the textile world. As far as then processing it and where Fiber 52 fits in is that let's take that cotton fabric, either knitted or, or woven, it needs to be um, bleached and dyed. The reason for that, the cotton's quite yellow or even brown, um, depending where it comes from. Um, but in that process, in the industry, there, there's something called trash, which is just the vegetable matter that's in cotton naturally. The bleaching process actually removes that. Um, also, um, you're getting the brown shade or the yellowish shade into into a nice white, so you can over dye it, even you know with little, um, bright colours. The industry tends, even if you're dyeing dark colours, still to do, go through that process to make sure that there's no residual vegetable matter there and it's at that stage that fiber 52 comes in because um, we actually replace the heavy products the heavy chemicals or the heavy alkali that's involved in the bleaching process and we um, replace those with natural products and those natural products are much gentler and they stop the degradation of the cotton because with the heavy chemicals, which have been traditional for the last, you know, 80 years, um, there's not been much change from that point of view in cotton processing um, until now, I believe, where, you know, Fiber 52 is really a method um, to process cotton that replaces that traditional method. And even in some countries, there's legislation now for the heavy chemicals that have been used that they are... Um, they are on lists that don't ban them, but in a way they do because you're not allowed to use them. And, you know, more and more countries are getting into that. And it's something that's going to happen uh, in our fairly near future, I believe. And so 
we think we're ahead of the curve um, by using bioproducts um, to better treat cotton and not to degrade the cotton because that, that in itself is a, is a big issue. So I'm I'm thinking of as far as the regulation you're mentioning, perhaps like EU reach chemical regulations, and even if it's not specifically banned, maybe there's like warnings associated with it or something like that. And no one wants to put a warning if you label if you don't have to. And then so my understanding is that with the kind of current let's say recipe mix of chemicals, not only is it pretty harsh chemicals, perhaps from an environmental or safety point of view, but it also negatively impacts the cotton fiber itself. That's correct. It does. Um, so, you know, we can do tests, what we call burst tests, to just determine the strength of the cotton. So in our testing, we determine the strength of the cotton in its gray state, or its grayish, as it's called. And then we test it afterwards with traditional dyeing and then with the fiber 52 method. And there's quite a big difference in strength because we're, we're not really impacting on the cellulose in cotton. We're not degrading it. There are lots of other good side effects, which I'd love to talk you through there because right now, Fiber 52 is spreading as we speak around the world. So um, every day we're speaking um, today, had two um, very interesting conversations, one with Italy, one with Sweden, on new processing machines and how we can save water, how we can save energy and so on. That's a daily occurrence for us now in that um, the word is out. Fortunately, people are really receptive to Fiber 52 and the sustained side of the process. Yeah, tell us more. So besides being bio-based, and tell us what are some of the other benefits from a sustainability point of view? Thanks, Amanda. What, what happens is, um, you know, cotton uses a lot of water in process. And uh, th there's you know, one big issue to begin with. We all know that water's a scarce resource. So we don't want to waste it in textiles if we can help it. Um, and we we say, you know, when we quote figures, we always say up to, because there's lots of different machinery. So in certain machines, you get really, really good results. And that tends to be in the slightly newer machines, but even in the older ones, we get great results because we're using the same machinery that's, always been used. We, you don't have to buy special machinery to use Fiber 52. It's just that it's, you can use the existing machinery. No need for investment. Really no need to retrain anybody. You know, it's just a case of substitution with these products versus the chemicals that are used. So in, in water, what, what happens is um, instead of using the heavy chemicals, in using this these bioproducts, we actually speed up the process. So it's a shorter time and that helps with less damage, but also that shorter time helps with using less energy. And in that case, what, what, what is happening is that we're kind of catalyzing the process naturally. And so it goes much quicker, but we can also use much lower temperatures too. So again, another energy saving. Um, so we have water, energy, time, all being saved up to around 50% less with fiber 52 than traditional processing. And in some cases, even better, um, particularly in Italy, we, um, one of our, one of our partners, um, they're saving, um, around 75%, um, of their water consumption, um, by using fiber 52, which is, you know, which is a big deal. 
Those are really big numbers, savings. Of, you know, again, I understand the up to depending on the machinery and how exactly you operate and all kind of caveats that come with all those things. But those are big numbers around 50% just savings to maybe actually up to 75% in this in this case and at the um, at the place in Italy. You must get the question. These numbers are too good to be true. Is this real? <laughs> how how do you go about showing or proving these numbers for you know it just seems too good to be true right so we're all a little bit skeptical <laughs> yeah it's too good to be true because you know um the traditional diets are saying well you don't have enough alkaline you you don't have this you don't have that very skeptical to begin with and you can imagine why you know when it's been the similar process for so many years, and it's so traditional. Uh, so we have to do trials. Uh, those trials are there for the the managers and the factory owners and so on, uh, just to see for themselves. So we we like to. I I personally go in there. I I can't do it all over the world, but um, certainly here in the states, I personally go and do the do the trials. And if we can't do that, then we're on a call like this where we can see each other and we we can pretty much monitor the trial. And every every one we've done, we, we're, we're pretty much 100% successful. So, and there's a lot. I mean, we've done a lot of trials over the last year. And we didn't want to go out either and commercialize this properly until we knew that time after time after time, this is going to work and it's repeatable. And all the questions that we get about, well, we're making a big replacement here. This is a new method. We've got to be able to trust it. We've got to make sure it works. We've got to make sure it's repeatable. So doing those trials is really important before you move on to the next stage, which is really commercial processing. Did you um, work, uh, do any studies or lab tests or to, to really quantify the results in a very kind of rigorous way? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we uh, we work with um, NC State University, who have a fantastic lab. Uh, it's a comfort lab. It's called a comfort lab, um, and they've got some of the you know amazing machinery that can tell us just about everything that's going on. So we're able to take the traditional product and compare that in in those laboratories and others. Um, we work we work with a number of laboratories, but we we test. Also, um, what, what might be interesting is at some point in this conversation, we talk about the performance attributes, which are nat natural performance attributes uh, for Fiber 52, um, because we're finding also, and, and this is reasonably recently, we're finding that the performance of Fiber 52 is quite surprising. So we're doing a lot of tests. We're, we're actually making sure we're not degrading the cotton, making sure that things like pilling, you know, when, when you get those mm -hmm. little balls outside of your clothing, um, Fiber 52 pills less, it sheds less, uh, it's stronger. Um, and therefore, you know, there, there are those attributes, but there are other performance attributes that we're now discovering. Tell me some more about, like, what do you mean? Um, well, for instance, in, in sport, you know, um, and... and Warm weather. We we actually thought that um, with fiber fifty two's natural attributes, we thought there's a cooling sensation. We were proven not wrong, but we were proven that it was a different sensation by this fantastic lab. In that 
they profiled fiber 52 against polyester, against um, normally produced or processed cotton. They can very carefully graph it. They, they actually um, kind of reproduce a human skin and then there's um, a, a hot plate which is 35 degrees centigrade, so it's pretty much like body temperature. Yeah. Then they extrude moisture through the skin to the fabric. And what we find is that uh, fiber 52 doesn't stick to the skin. Mm. Um, but we also, we also knew that um, fiber 52 was quite hydrophobic or water resistant. We found that's not the case either in that the vapor is actually going into the fiber, being absorbed and then re-released. So you have this constant comfort factor. So the graph just kind of flatlined, whereas the others go and crash because they're saturated or, you know, they're stuck against the skin and cooling down very, very fast, which is not a great thing to do. We have a very strong comfort factor, but it's a natural one. In the past, to get that kind of sensation, you know, chemicals like fluorocarbons have yeah. been used, yeah. um, which again have been phased out. This does all that naturally. Um, without using topical solutions or adding that kind of uh, chemical. That's what I'm used to. Do you get that effect as a, basically a topical chemical that makes it feel cooler or warmer, kind of adjust to body heat? But this is interesting that it's the cotton itself because of the treatment. So I live in um, Houston, Texas, where it's hot and humid all the time. So um, any kind of performance textile like that, it would be much appreciated. <laughs> um, well, I remember, um, you know, prep call where you were talking about, um, you know, as you're going uh, around demoing and, and improving this technology to do an industry that's, I think you said, has been using the same processes, the same recipes for, for decades, for maybe generations. You know, you had to come with some really convincing information um, to get them to try it. I think you mentioned an LCA and also the work you did also with an Italian lab. Will you tell us more about the life cycle assessment and also the work in, in Italy that you did? Absolutely, uh, Amanda. Yeah, with the life cycle analysis, we, we hired um, a very clever gentleman who uh, is a PhD in textiles and, and um and polymer science um, and he has a great background in working these very complicated LCAs out so the life cycle analysis tells us you know how much water we're saving how much energy we're saving what is our carbon emission and again you know we're using this word or our sentence up to when we're doing this but we've actually um, got comparative um, uh, comparative numbers from around the world. So at least we can see in different regions um, where power costs differently. Um, water obviously has a cost and that's different also. And also the way that emissions are controlled. Uh, again, we, 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 we have to bring all that into consideration. So um, this whole work um, has taken around six months full time um, to get to that to get to that result. Moving on to Italy, um, what happened is the um, in the town where we process is a historic textile town, a medieval textile town, would you believe, where, you know, families have been consistent in their businesses for 400 years. Um, you know, and I was, I was talking to a mill yesterday where a gentleman was saying, yeah, we, we're, we're still going. 
and we've been here since 1859 and it's been in my family since 1859 <laughs> and he was so delighted that wow it would cost these guys are really into sustainability and he said i can't believe you know we'll, we'd love to do that use this process so there are some very receptive people out there and they can see that you know we can make a difference together but what what happened is that, um one really nice dye house they were dyeing garments with this process they took um the re resultant garments to a beautiful lab one of one of you know the most exalted textile labs in the world um where um they deal with um even luxury brands and the luxury brands are, are looking obviously like other brands are looking very carefully at what's happening in the in the environment and how how it can be done better because there's a, let's face it, you know, there's a lot of pressure, ESG pressure there that people are really starting to look at. And, and also there's legislation. And in Italy particularly, they're looking at feeling that legislation. And the results that came back were, were really interesting. We, we, we got really good fastnesses because they're doubtful. Like, well, it's such a short time when you're processing. Are we going to get the fastnesses? Is it calling on a run? Is it, you know, is it going to be different? Of course, we've got to go through all that testing to make absolutely sure we don't have a problem. But we've also been able to use classes of dye stuff, which you wouldn't expect to use with um, this kind of process and get really good uh, textile fasteners because they're cheaper dye stuffs that have been used for 50, 60 years. Um, and the, um, the dyer was able to use those and get a really good uh, costing because, you know, they're using these nice cheap dye stuffs, but they're also using less water, less power, and so on. And they're costing that in now. And the laboratory that um, we're talking about, they've also asked us to do an LCA using all the um, all the numbers that we get in from the dye houses, from the processors in Italy, and then doing an LCA in Italy with those numbers so everybody knows where they came from. And they can, you know, absolutely feel it because, oh, yes, we did that, you know. That's a big one for us. We're really looking forward to moving that along, and we're 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 already in the process. So, that's that's going to be interesting, and we'll, we will publish those figures. I think the LCA, the life cycle assessment, is a powerful tool, especially when you have a new solution like this, and you really want to be able to quantify the benefits to, um, as you mentioned, water, energy, and greenhouse gas emissions in a very convincing and rigorous way, but also a very thorough way. I think it's one of the most powerful tools out there. Graham, I want to ask you a little bit about how did you end up in this space? Have you always worked in sustainability or how did you, yes, how did you, um, how did yeah, we? <laughs> None of it was planned, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I grew up in a textile town where we made we one of the biggest dye stuff producers in those days in the world. And, um, you know, I, I live where I lived. I looked onto the biggest dye stuff producer in the world and my house was joined to a mill. So I kind of had to be in textiles. And yeah, I, I began life as a dyer um, when I was um, 15 years old, actually. But I started to study, did my degree um, over um, part-time, part um, which was good because I was able to go and study, but come back to the practical and, and start to use that. So being in that situation, I, I always um, I always looked at the factories that were producing dye stuffs because that 
kind of affected my life in in you know in the atmosphere in our, just putting our washing outside you know what, what happened to it and the river that was like even 200 yards away the color it would run you know one day to the next you know then that was that was reality of course that happened for a long number of years um but again he got legislated against and so i was interested and then as a dyer um very much wanted to always improve the processes that we were using try to use less water try and use less chemicals so for me this has been a pretty long process and um i guess i got more and more into this and as i was as i was working around in dye houses because i often had to do my own dyeing and i and here in the states um i've done a lot of my own dyeing and uh it's time consuming and so when i was hanging around um I got into, you know, buying my own cotton and looking at how I could improve the dyeing that was going on day to day, how I could make a difference. And it wasn't rocket science. I just gradually, by trial and error, got to where we are today. And now this is, you know, we're full on commercialization right now. So it's great to be in this space at last. Thank you for sharing your story. I think there's such an interest in sustainable fashion. Sometimes it's more focused on, you know, after the consumer buys it and wears it. But I think it's as important to think about how it's produced and how we can make production more sustainable and tackle both ends of it. And it's exciting to hear about new solutions like Fiber 52 um, coming to the table to uh, yeah help the, the clothes that we wear or the, or the home goods that we like to, you know, um, purchase um, more sustainable for all of us. Graham, we'll make sure to link up the website to Fiber 52. So any um, listeners who are curious and want to learn more about this solution um, have an easy way of, of learning about it. But I want to thank you so much for being on the pod today and sharing this. This is fabulous. Thank you. It's been good to be here. Thanks for all your uh, good questions. I mean, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I've enjoyed it. <laughs>